1: Hey, welcome to the Really 007 podcast for this special episode. We've got a behind-the-camera interview with none other than Katharina Kubrick, who you can see is here with us, as well as her dog, Wendy. So, yes, Katarina's worked on many classic films in many different roles, and we'll be talking about some of those tonight, including several of her fathers, such as Barry Lyndon, The Shining, and Eyes Wide Shut. But, obviously, we're a Bond podcast, and her work on the Bond films is legendary, creating the prosthetic teeth worn by Jaws. And that's going to be interesting to talk about that as well. So you can watch all our other interviews on our YouTube channel and you can listen to our episodes on iTunes and Spotify and on our website. We're on all social media platforms such as Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So with me, Tom Pickup, I have other Bond and cinema fan, Chris Goldie. So welcome, Chris, to you as well. Thank you. (laughs) So, yes, Katerina. Now, obviously, you're from a famous family. But you've been involved in many, many aspects of filmmaking. Which is the first role you had on set?
0: Sorry, I shouldn't have had that tea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, okay. well, the first thing I did was Stanley employed me as a location photographer because he, when I was 16, he gave me his nickel mat and uh, taught me how to take photographs and how to, you know, develop and print film and and, and print pictures. So I was immediately therefore useful. So when we went to Ireland to make Barry Lyndon, he had this 19 year old who was, you know, without anything to do. So he said, okay, well, you're going to go and look for locations. And at that point I was at art college and was undecided about what I wanted to do really. And then working with Ken Adam, who was the production designer on Barry Lyndon, and we had this huge art department that we should set up at the Artery Hotel in Waterford. Anyhow, so I became part of the team and I was given pages of script and maps and I got my car and traveled around Ireland and then that also moved to England. But that actually decided me that working on, on movies in the art department was something I wanted to do. And that sort of started the ball rolling. Because Ken Adam,
1: I mean, he uh, he won an Oscar, didn't he, for his production design on that film? Yeah, so could you get a better introduction to a film, really, in the the art department? Exactly.
0: And the thing is that, as you know, Stanley had already worked with Ken um, because uh, on Doctor Strangelove, Stanley had seen Doctor No, was very impressed with the set, which was, you know, unbelievable, actually, and it's sort of a daring and bold design, and Stanley knew that he had found a kindred spirit, really, so, yeah, so Barry Lyndon was his second um, film with Stanley. And he was a great, great guy to work with, actually. He was, you know, infinitely knowledgeable. So it was a good lesson, a good school.
1: Yeah. Well, we're, we're doing a tribute episode on him and just the legacy of his James Bond films. And obviously Spy Who Loved Me, of course, he was involved with that. And mm. I assume that's how you, you came to be involved with that film, that that link with Ken and um, Stanley. Exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. So what happened was, so I'd done some work on Barry Lyndon, well, for a year, I was a location photographer, and then did other things worked on went back to college, uh, worked on other movies. And then I knew that he was starting this film. And I just sort of said, Oh, could I bring my portfolio and this is a long time ago. This is 1976. Women did not work in the art department mm. then. I mean, it was pretty unheard of, really. And so, you know, I used my connections to get my foot in the door, and I took my bulging art school portfolio. And Ernie Archer, who had worked on um, 2001 as a draftsman, was his principal draftsman there. Very talented guy, and he looked at my portfolio and he just said, "Yeah, you know, we can find a." A job for you. So I started, you know, a go for a tea maker, and because I could draw and because I'd been to art school, I was given all the really fun things to do. So it was, and I was on it for a year. Well, it was a good job. It was a good job, but I had to get a union ticket, and in those days, you couldn't get a ticket without a job, and you couldn't get a job without a ticket. So you had to find somebody who was willing to pay you or employ you for some sort of peanuts, and then ask people to um, support you in your bid to become a union member and they had to you know you had to pay your dues and everything so you had ACTT and then you had napki so those two and I was ACTT so that was fun but I got it in the end.
1: (laughs) Which did you kind of work on first did you because Stanley was involved brought in with the lighting wasn't he as well I believe?
0: This is a story that has blossomed. Ah, right. So here we go. We'll just this is a story that has blossomed. <laughs> okay, so the 007 stage was specifically built around the tank at Pinewood. And it was at that point the biggest silent stage in Europe. Do you know what I mean when I say yeah. silent stage? I yep. oh, say so you can't shoot sound. So sound stage are all the padded ones where it's very Quiet. And you can't hear outside. Silent stage is you can hear everything that's happening outside because there's no padding, so you can't shoot sound. That's why it's called silent stage. Anyhow, so one of my jobs was to photograph the process of it being built and uh, then Ken designed his sets and we were in the art department, uh, we were making models of the submarines and, and doing all that. So finally this enormous set is built and now he's thinking, well, how the heck am I gonna like this thing? so because apparently the lighting cameraman wasn't sure he said to me can you get you know Sammy to come on I went okay and (laughs) uh, anyway so I said to dad because I was still living at home then and I said to dad he said you've got to be fucking kidding me I'm not going to go on somebody else's set yeah that's unheard of it's unprofessional I can't do it and can Pleaded. Anyway, so one Sunday, very quietly, when nobody was there, Dad went to see Ken, and they walked around this enormous set. And the way um, Ken had designed it, there were already lights as part of the set design. Practicals, they're called. And Stanley just off. And Stanley just said, "We'll use the practicals. Just use the lights that you've already designed into the set. And that was it. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, that was simple it. Simple but Effective. That. Simple but effective. But you know, Stanley wasn't a big. Um, he did use film lights, obviously, but he preferred practicals. He preferred, you know, the, the lights that you have got on your table. So, you know, obviously, he did use film lights when he had to, but he preferred not to if he could use what was in the room. So.
2: And Barry Lyndon, obviously, being a prime example of him using natural there you light go. and the candle There you go. And the, and the I mean, light.
0: The, in Barry Lyndon, there were scenes where. Um, obviously, you had huge banks of lights outside the windows mm-hmm. in whatever location we were working on, but then they were heavily filtered um, to produce, you know, daylight, sunlight. But the candles are a famous case in point, and they had candles specially made. that did endless um, uh, camera tests with how many wicks do you need in a candle in order to give you the most light, and some of the candles had three and four wicks in them and of course they burnt down very very quickly Mm -hmm. and produced an enormous amount of heat and everybody was sweating but there you go.
2: So obviously you are used to being on the sets and and being on you know surrounded by you know filmmakers and everything so when you came onto things like you know Aspire Loving which is a massive production were you very much at ease because it was something that you'd always known or were you still a little bit kind of like you say being weren't very many women working those
0: no programs. I mean people were you have to imagine you're a young woman and uh, there are no women in your art department and you're Stanley Kubrick's daughter and people want you to fail really badly people are expecting you to to mess up and they don't take you seriously uh and because I'd been to art college I, that was also sort of held against me because they <laughs> thought oh, you know, don't get above your station young lady kind of thing mm-hmm. but I was desperate to to succeed and um, worked very hard and dad said you know get there first leave last wear a sack you know don't um, just just work really really hard and but going on to, going to a film studio uh, walking onto a sound stage I mean ugh, the smell of a sound stage is like Chanel it's wonderful know <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> they have a, a sound stage has a very sp- specific smell to it and uh, you get all these great chains hanging down from the gantry and it's just like it's, it's a place where magic is made i mean mm-hmm. oh. this wonderful i loved it i wasn't ner- i wasn't nervous about being in a film studio i was nervous about not being able to do my job properly
2: and what was the first set that you were on that you remember obviously did you obviously visited you down this
0: dr. dr strangelove
2: right okay
0: yeah so i've got a Never i've got a I. photograph of me and my mother sitting on the table in the war room. So I was about <laughs> seven or eight. Yeah.
2: So. Another incredibly iconic set.
0: Oh, it's, it was amazing, and you had to. So I went after school, and so that stage that was in um, Shepperton Studios, and uh, that was a great studio with this old building. It was a major. A lot of the studios were built over mansions or la- large houses that had space. So that was a, a fantastic old building with a black and white tiled floor and a balcony, and apparently it was haunted because some actress had you know, committed suicide by jumping off the, the balcony. It was, it was just rife with um, wonderful yeah. stories. It was a great studio, and I think the, um, the Rolling Stones took it over at some stage, and I worked there many years later for a company called BBRK when I was working in commercials, and I worked with um, Jeff Kirkland. And we worked on Midnight Express together. Oh.
1: Yes, yeah. And what did you do with, with that film?
0: I was his personal assistant and I was in the art department. So he was the production designer. Right. And so BBRK specialised in television commercials. So you had a lot of the people who started in commercials. So you had you know Ridley Scott and Adrian Lyne and Alan Parker. Oh. That generation of young filmmakers who mm-hmm. all started off doing pack shots So, you know, I worked on, um, you know, Tesco advert and a a Cadbury Smash advert. Um, But Alan Parker, liked working with Jeff Kirkland, they had already worked on um, uh, Bugsy Malone. And so when he was going to do Midnight Express, Jeffrey was his production designer and I was Jeffrey's assistant, and we we went to Malta.
1: So incredible. And you, you were a location photographer and a location researcher as well. And
0: well, it kind of comes hand in hand. If you're looking for locations, you have to know what kind of architecture, what period you're, you're um, sorry, I've got dogs running around, what kind of mm. um, period you're looking for, what kind of buildings um, on Barry Lyndon. It had to be not be too late. Too early was okay. Uh, if you find a half-timbered house, but you couldn't be near a busy road. You know, they had to, places for the crew and all the vans and stuff so it was you know we're looking for a country road this is before cgi so you couldn't just cgi stuff out or put a blue screen you know behind the road so you had to find vast areas of countryside with no telegraph poles and no signs of modernity anywhere so i did a lot of travel got very good at reading ordnance survey maps
1: (laughs) did you have to find the overlook hotel well (laughs)
0: the overlook hotel no i didn't look for that but the overlook hotel was called the timberline lodge and it's in oregon my uncle and doug sorry my my brain's working the lighting cameraman dougie milsom dougie milsom and they went second unit basically to set up the lights at the timberline lodge in oregon after snow and they put big lights in some of the windows and um they drove through the snow when they filmed it. It was just the two of them. (laughs) I I, I didn't go there for The Shining. I was sent off to look for, uh, I went to Anchorage and um, I was to set up a second unit location for when Halloran comes back after he's heard Danny and he's coming back and he's landing a plane in the snow. Um, And I was setting up second unit, looking for locations, looking for a proper garage in Anchorage. And the whole time I was there, it did the snow, so they, <laughs> they took me back. But I also found things like Indian carpets. I went to Phoenix, Arizona, and I was um, looking for Indian tribal rugs because we'd been looking at books. And Dad said, well, you know, we found we've magazines dealing with tribal art, American tribal art. And then he said, we oh, well, go to this person, go to see this person, this expert. And I went and I was in Scottsdale, Arizona. I met this lady, went to this incredibly fancy gallery. And of course, looking at these tribal rugs, which are now art, and they're hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm on the phone and I said, Dad, they're not gonna, you have to buy these. This is art. You, you know, you, they're really expensive. Oh shit, okay. Anyway, so they were <laughs> copied. And I think there was the set that burnt down only had one authentic tribal rug on it. So that was a shame. But-
2: so, obviously, the, 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 the public perception of, of Stanley is obviously very different to Ugh. what the reality is. So what was he, obviously, he's your father, but what was he like to work with, and, or rather work for? Did he sort of treat you just the same, or was the... Cause it's, obviously, it's very difficult, isn't it, when it's family?
0: It's so? Well, yeah, I mean, the same, but, you know, his his sort of stock phrase with you know you either care or you don't and you had to work if anything harder because you can't get away with shit because you know you're the boss's daughter so you have to try extra hard and i did stuff for him and looked for locations and bulk props and and i just knew that you know you had to cover yourself so if you found a great location he said okay shoot it give me the master shot so he could get it print out and take it to a second unit director and say, shoot it from this angle. So I had to give him the master shot. But I also had to have, you know, uh, 360 map coordinates and then zoom in on details. And so I knew what he wanted. Basically show him everything because he didn't know what he wanted until he saw it. Because you don't know what's out there. So don't don't show me what you think you like. Show me what there is and then I'll choose, which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) And you made a, a few appearances in front of the camera. <laughs> um, yeah. fleeting yeah. fleeting appearance what was that like to be I mean, the other oh, side? Well, it's
0: just a laugh isn't it I mean mm. you know you because I would hang around on set so I had a, a, a nanosecond at the Chelsea drugstore in, in Clockwork Orange mm-hmm. where I got to walk in you know which was actually called the Chelsea drugstore I think it's a McDonald's now <laughs> or something tragic um so that was cool and then and then I suppose Barry Linden so I was one of the daughters and we were in the field dancing and with Captain Quinn. And then we were at the, the lunch table where Ryan throws the glass of water and we all get um, thrown out. And and then the third time was on no, Eyes Wide Shut. And what had happened was that my son... My oldest son had a bike accident, cycling accident, and he was completely grazed. And I was furious because he wasn't wearing his helmet. And he was completely grazed from top to bottom. And we were visiting my parents. And Dad said, oh, gee, you'd be a great patient for Dr. Bill because you're all scabby and bleeding. Um, But, of course, by the time um, they got around to shooting that scene, Alex was all healed. But he promised that he could do it. So it became glands. But the thing is, if, you're, if that's not your job, if it's not something that you want to do, i.e. be an actress, you're not nervous because you don't really care because it's just a, yeah. a bit of a laugh. The next week I was taking my portfolio to somebody where I wanted to have a show of my paintings and I was, I was you know, sweating. So mm. it just depends on what's important to you.
1: You did a lot of work. Your artwork was used in Eiswein Shut, while well, I mentioned that film. They're, they're incredible. So they're absolutely amazing. We're looking well, at some of them soon. They're brilliant.
0: Mostly my... Uh, so when Dad was looking for what kind of an apartment that Harford should live in, and lots of... You know, every apartment in New York and every apartment in London was photographed. And then we are having a discussion and, and, you know, how should we design it? And Dad was talking to Mum and he said, well, you know, you have nice taste. Let's just use this stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so literally... <laughs> The Harford's apartment is basically all our furniture and paintings and the sofa and all the knickknacks and, you know, the the, the lamps, some of the lamps I bought, but the vases, the, the candlesticks. I mean, Basically, there was nothing to sit on at home because it was all on the set. And he just felt comfortable and he felt it looked yeah. really, you know, nice. <laughs> and yeah.
2: Your mum's mom, also a, a very person painter as well she
0: sure she she sure is you should have a look at her website Mm. yeah it's really good
2: you've got
1: your own website now as well haven't you yeah it's a bit rudimentary it's a bit
0: rudimentary but because I am so technically useless but um I've sort of got one of those ones that are supposed to be easy to to put (laughs) things together but I'm rubbish but I do have one now at last
1: because you left the film business didn't you to do this artwork and jewellery?
0: I left because I um, had children. Yeah. And the truth is, if you're working in the film industry, it's so hard to get a job in the art department that I knew I couldn't say, well, I'm sorry, I can't come in today because, you know, the Sprog's got measles or something. <laughs> so. And I just, so I just dedicated myself to raising them and that's when I went back to, to painting. So... And you're doing um,
2: lots of jewelry, aren't you? Wearable art and, and things. I
0: do. Yeah. I I'd
2: look at the website.
0: It's, it's <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a stuff. Sil- <laughs> silversmith now. I'm yeah. trying that. So it's mm. fun. I like working with metal, actually. Mm. So it's good. I have lots of nice shiny tools and hammers and saws and things. It's immensely <laughs> satisfying. <laughs>
2: As you say, does that, does that take you back to Jaws's teeth and, and the,
0: the well, dogs? But, so, and... Yeah, getting back to the subject, actually, what happened was, so there's a line in this, in, you know, character, that the guy who writes the script, and he's invented this character, and people don't realise, you know, that a line could cost a million dollars, you know, if you have to build it. So, but everybody in the art department was really busy, and Ivor Beddows, who was a sketch artist, was too busy, Ken was too busy, everybody was too busy, and they gave it to the junior, which was me. Jaws, I'm assigning you the task of recovering the microfilm copy of the tracking system. Every person who even comes into contact with that microfilm
2: is to be eliminated.
0: So I got the, the stills photographer to take a photograph of Richard Keel grimacing, and so then I did... Lots of sketches, lots of ideas, lots of overlays, and then came up with something I thought was useful and then were doable that he could put in his mouth because obviously you couldn't have anything sharp in there. And I I worked on the on the basis of of interlocking cogs. And so anyway, so I did this drawing, did an overlay over Richard's face, and took it down to Cubby, and they said, yeah, we'll go to <laughs> but it wasn't kind
2: of get passed on to somebody else actually physically makes it? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't make them because that then went to a dental technician because Richard was um, a giant, literally a giant. Yeah. So his jaw was slightly different than anybody else's. And he hated wearing them. They were immensely uncomfortable. Mm. And the minute, that, you know, the camera stopped rolling, he'd spit them out. But I've got a really nice card from him saying, you know, great design on the teeth. So oh. that was sweet.
2: Very iconic though aren't
0: they yeah yeah. i mean they are and everybody knows that character but he was only Mm -hmm. in in two films yeah Mm -hmm. but it's it's like was it short round the little dwarf with the hat he was called short round
1: oh odd job yeah
0: odd job yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah, also
0: not in many many of the movies but so i had a very varied job which was nice i I didn't know what I was going to be doing from one day to the next, apart from tea.
1: <laughs> but they were used again, weren't they? The teeth for Moonraker. Is it the same? Yeah, he was, uh, yeah he, was in,
0: he was in Moonraker. So he was in yeah. those two movies, Why You Love Me and, and Moonraker. And I. Did I left Moonraker before the movie was finished because they'd kind of put me on back to big where I was at the beginning and I really, I'd already done commercials and other movies in between. I just thought, well, I don't want to go back to the beginning. So I left and started to work on another film.
1: All right, so you, you did do some work on Moonraker?
0: Yeah, yeah, I was art yeah. department junior, you know, sticking yeah. photographs together and in the art department and tracing things and you have a big drawing board and say, can you do this detail and do that detail? And then it's those drawings are then. And sent off to the carpentry shop or the plaster shop or whoever's making what you just drew up. So lots if, of if responsibility. Things,
2: yeah. yeah. I was gonna say if, if if things had been different, what would did you have like a goal within the art department that you were aiming for? Was it would it be production designer, you know
0: I was going to be an Oscar winning production designer.
2: <laughs> okay. Oh.
0: Was say so yeah, well you never know how your life's gonna go, do you no. so, yeah. So. It is what it is. So there we
1: are. And you, you did quite a few other films as well. You, I'm a big fan of Supergirl. I know it's but not not everyone. Oh, I
0: loved Supergirl. working on. That I, I, yeah. What is it?
1: The Burundi wand, pure and adulterated evil. Ready? What was that like? What did you do? On oh, that?
0: that was that was actually um, one of my favourite films to work on because I came in right at the beginning. They had literally just hired. Um, the production designer, and I was the first person uh, that he hired. And um, he'd been working in America for a long time. He didn't know, he had sort of lost contact with a lot of the English art department crew. And uh, and we worked very well together. And he um, gave me a lot of design freedom. So I was designing all kinds of things, furniture, eating utensils, um those big pillows that they sit in um, based on Klimt paintings and I'm sticking um, Klimt-esque big sheets together um, with this highly reflective material because they were supposed to be you know Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank can't remember the name of it. And so I did this big sample. And then that huge, it was a sort of eight by eight sample of um, high highly reflective plastic material, which then went to the drapes department. And then they had to reproduce it en masse to make these big things, um, cushions and sort of um, seats and things. And then tables and chairs and eating utensils and drinking um, stuff. And um, yeah, just a ton of stuff fun things I could just got to sit in my art in my office and just draw things all day it was wonderful <laughs> it was great so that was it was a great it was a really fun movie to work on and then there was Selena the witch and, yeah um,
1: Faye Dunaway
0: and there was yeah she was really it was Faye Dunaway wasn't it yeah she's she brilliant the witch tunnel and then I got a chance to go in there and paint all the um the dripping skulls and blood and everything, yeah. and I had my big pots of paint, and I was on the set with the lads, you know, with my big brushes painting all this stuff. So I had a well at the time actually. It was good. <laughs>
1: And Dark Crystal as well, that's another film yes. that sort of get, got more praise recently. They made a TV series off of it, don't they? But,
0: I know, I didn't yeah. I didn't see that. I'm not that. seeing it
1: yet, no, no.
0: No, I was, oh gosh, I was on that for over a year and started at EMI Studios and I was on um, Environment and so we were making all the plants and models and mountains and modelling things and I got moved and I went up to Hampstead and I was working at Henson's workshop up there. Amazing. on to uh, Hill. And so he lived across the street. And then I was put on to making jewellery for the Skexis. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah, so that was <laughs> awesome. So you had all the model makers. So you had the model makers who were working on Augra and the pod people. So every creature had their own team of right. model makers, designers, wow. Uh, Brian Froud was the overall creature designer, and then and Harry Lang was the, sort of the production designer, and, and Harry Lang had worked on 2001, so we knew each other quite well. Yeah, it was just a it was a great time. I mean, there was just so many interesting things going on. And I, I remember when I saw the movie, I was a bit disappointed. And it was a bit dark, and you didn't see half the detail of the mm. stuff that we put. I mean, literally every costume was hand dyed and hand stitched and you just didn't it didn't read on the screen it was a shame really but
1: might be better on blu-ray
0: I don't know. i am not checked. Sure. Possibly, <laughs> yeah. I'm they right. had a they had an exhibition where they do have a I think a permanent running exhibition at MOMI, which is the a Museum of the Modern Moving Image in Brooklyn. Because I was there January 2020 because they were opening up the 2001 exhibition from the traveling Stanley Kubrick exhibition, mm-hmm. and they had a huge dark crystal exhibition there with a lot of the original puppets and things. So that was it was really interesting to, to revisit some of those guys. Love mm-hmm. it.
2: <laughs> do you have anything any little bits or bobs from the film sets that you've worked on if you managed to keep anything I
0: do but you're not supposed
2: to <laughs> oh, I'll it right. there in the background
0: <laughs> I, I, I tell you what I did do though is the other I bought one of these
1: oh yes I've got yeah Baby Yoda yeah bless him just,
0: uh, I absolutely love the Mandalorian <laughs> and every time I see these films, I just think, oh, God, that would have been such fun to work on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Especially with Netflix, you- there's so many of those series, aren't mm-hmm. there, that they are using more creative effects as well?
0: Exactly. Exactly. I, like, I quite like Sweet Tooth. I thought that was fun.
1: And no, I've not I seen, that seen that one. No. <laughs> So many things you've got to watch now. But So yeah. many
0: movies, so little time. I
1: know, I know.
2: Even in lockdown. You know, sort of taking us back to sort of Bond, do you, was there any... Have you managed to keep up with that series? Obviously, it's a very long. It's really 60th of the 60th year now. Have you managed to keep up with watching the, the latest incarnations?
0: Yeah, I've, think I think about? I've seen... Just about all of them. I've seen the last one. I think I might have to watch it again, though. Didn't quite deal with me. Um, the
1: latest one on the cinema. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I, was, I, I need to give it a, a, a second shot. Sometimes <laughs> if I see a movie and I'm not quite sure I was in the wrong mood to watch it, I, I think, okay, well, I'll watch it again. Um, yeah. I, have to, I have to do that with quite a lot of movies. If I, I just sort of, It's not that I didn't get it. I was just, you know how you're in the wrong mood sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 now I'm so old, I usually fall asleep halfway through. A <laughs> it's though. quite
1: a long one. Wasn't it? I know <laughs> it
0: the is. I know the first half of so many films. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think I've seen just about all of them. And now that they're, they're all talking about who the next Bond's going to be, mm. I thought Craig was really good. I thought Craig was. Re- I mean, I did too with Roger Moore. Always liked Sean Connery. Wasn't too sure about the Australian. Um, <laughs> He only did he one. He should
1: not be named. Yeah, yeah. yeah no.
0: And I don't know who the who the next one's going to be. There's a lot of guessing, and people mm. are putting different names forward. I'm sure Barbara's Barbara's choosing as we speak.
1: Oh yeah, and it'll probably be someone we don't know and a, a surprise, won't it?
0: People have very it's 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 very people have very strong opinions. You know, it shouldn't be a woman, for instance. Mm. And you know, if you're going to be puritanical about it then or purist about it then i can i can see but if it's just you know they've left the original fleming oh
2: yeah yeah
0: a long time yeah. ago so
2: yeah well sorry. yeah the spy gave yeah. me isn't exactly Fleming-esque, you know, it doesn't take away, you know, the very, you know, I see them as very separate things, you know, obviously started off being influenced by the novels and they, they always take bits from, from short stories or a scene from with the novels, but, you know, Spy love Me, which is possibly, you know, you could argue, the most iconic Bond film because it has so much that people remember, people mm. identify without actually having seen it, you know, yes. that, you know, like people could, if you say, Jaws, the, the first thing is, obviously, you think of the shark. Yeah, <laughs> It's not called Jaws, but... And then, <laughs> you know, the character of Jaws from Spire Hill of and Moonraker. And you yeah. don't have to have seen any of that. It's, it's so iconic, you know, Roger Moore skiing off the mountain is... You know uh oh yeah that open. was really
0: roger who did that well yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ro- roger. <laughs> yeah roger in fact it, yeah. it was quite funny because they were looking for somebody to do that shot because you know it's all about the first you know the opening sequence is always yeah. very very important isn't it and um i remember we were sitting around the art department we we're having this big meeting and the, and the director was there and they said so, well we found this complete nutcase who said that he will you know <laughs> ski off a mountain with a parachute and they go okay that sounds good you know it's just the thing about filmmaking is it's so hard it's so complicated it's so expensive but there's also a lot of brainstorming and well this doesn't work so let's try yeah. that and, and and let's you know see what happens there's a, there's a lot of um spontaneity involved and also if there's a mistake if something goes wrong uh and uh, you know you have to deal with it because you can't often rebuild it. it's like when you're shooting you've got a shooting schedule you have stuff outside and you have rain covers so you have to have a rain cover set which is what it is it's a standby set that you can go and film mm. in if you're rained off and it's just you know or if that set is closed or burns down or something happens to the actor or there's so many different ways that it can go horribly wrong or you've shot the film you've shot your your sequence and the next day as you know you have rushes and states called dailies and back in the day when they're using film you know you can get a scratch on the film you can Mm. get a hair in the gate you can get something else wrong you have to go and do it again and that all (laughs) you know, adds to it. I think people who are using digital now are so much, so much luckier because you don't have mm. any of those issues.
2: But well, yeah, like, you, like you mentioned about The Mandalorian, they're having those virtual sets where, um, you know, the background, obviously, as the camera moves, and the, which is uh, mind-blowing that they can do do that. And obviously, you know, Stanley was very much at the, the fore of filmmaking and kind of, you know, was, was always pushing things, not only as a, technically, but also as a, the form itself. Do you think he would embrace, would have embraced things like virtual sets or would he be more kind of, he wants something physical? And obviously as an actor, it's very different being on a, yeah. you know, virtual set, and or being in a, like you said, like with the apartment in, in Eyes Wide Shut. Sure. It's...
0: I mean, even on Spy Who Loved Me, um, we had blue screen or green screen when mm-hmm. you're supposed to, when the set's supposed to be under the sea. Um, yes. You know, yeah. You've got this sort of shark by. um by. But, and I, d- I don't know how actors play to, you know, nothing, or to, you know, being afraid of a dinosaur that's not there. <laughs> um, but I think that with... The CGI and the technical advances in the last 20 years, I think Stanley was such a geek, he would have absolutely embraced it because, you know, it's famous, he didn't like to travel. And, you know, to be able to do things and still sleep in his own bed at night was, you know, the ultimate, you know, luxury and also something that most people would would like to do. You know, that's, that's having your life sorted. Sleep at home, but, you know, still do what you want to do with your yeah. your art. I think he would have loved working with digital. He loved film. He was a... <sighs> He was a photographer first and foremost. Yeah. I remember going to visit him on the set at Luton Who when he was shooting Eyes Wide Shut and he, they were shooting the party sequence. So oh. Luton Who is a stately home just up the road from where I used to live and with this beautiful staircase and there's, the rooms were all lit with Christmas lights, real Christmas lights. There were no film lights there. And so I just dropped the kids off. I've got three boys and I dropped them off at school and I thought, oh, I'll go and, say hi. So I went up to Luton-Hoo and Daddy was in his trailer and he was looking at the rushes from the day before of Nicole um, with her sh- glass of champagne, putting her hand back on the table behind her and then being chatted up by, what's his name? And he said, oh, come and have a look at this. Come and have a look, this is so gorgeous. And so we we're watching it on the steam bag because he had a steam bag in his trailer. And he said, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it gorgeous? Just Look at those colors. Isn't it, you know, lush? And he was so excited and I just said, well, how did you do that? And he said, well, cause I pushed the film. So you push it in the camera and you push it at the lab so that you get that lovely, intense, grainy, sort of saturated color thing. He loved it. And I don't know whether he would be using digital cameras now. He might for expediency because you don't have all the lab issues, but I think he would have missed using film. I do. I think he would have missed using because he knew what to do with it. He knew how he could, hmm. you know, push it and, and 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 mold it to the, to what he wanted. He was, was definitely the... a painter in that way.
2: Yeah. And having these to hand doesn't mean you have to use them all the time. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, the, 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 I think for things like you hear filmmakers saying how, you know being able to watch the, the playback there and then and not wait, have to wait for rushes, and uh, you oh, know, for sure. and for the film is like amazing. And obviously, you had know. video playback, didn't it? For, 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 but I think that virtual sets, I think, lend itself to, to certain things. And I can understand, like, say, if you wanted to go and you know, have film virtually the other side of the world, but would you still have? those Ken Adam sets anymore. You know, if everything was Mm. done in the computer, obviously you need someone to design it, but there's something about, something timeless, isn't there about those sets?
0: I think, I think I mean, Ken, for instance, was on on Barry Lyndon, he wanted to design the sets, but if you can imagine having built all those sets of all those locations, you you couldn't have done it. Mm. And, you know, you walk into a church or to a large house or a small room, the ambience, the sound, the patina, you know, you can't, Mm. you can't create that yeah. you know, it's it's like with rubble, you can't build rubble. He said it's really impossible. Which is when they were at Becton, and they just said, you know, can we? You know, we're going to blow this shit up. And they went, yeah, fine, do, do what you want? So now you've got real rubble, yeah. and and you, on Barry Lynch, you've got real houses, you've got real paintings, really high ceilings, you've got the echoing, you've got the polished floors. You can't build that. If you're doing fantasy, then you know the world's your oyster. You can do that. But I think. That he would have loved. I mean, so on, on, on 2001, he was using a moviola to to edit. You know, these tiny little green things. I've never seen one. It, it looks like a little sort of robot. But then he was using the Avid on Eyes Wide Shut, and he loved it. He loved mm. not mm. having to sit there with miles and miles and miles of celluloid hanging. Yeah all his little pegs so he, he loved the freedom that that gave him and, and the choice I mean he always had three or four steambecks all around him when, we were, when he was editing um, Four Metal Jacket and Barry Linden, because that was his, his favourite part of the process and I always liken it to you know an artist mixing up their colours yeah. so shooting the film is mixing up all your colours but putting them on the canvas is the editing mm-hmm. and he, that was his baby he loved it that was his favourite bit
2: of doing it. I suppose that's when you build it, like, that's when it actually comes to, together. To together. and then you Yeah, can, yeah. And there's so many options as well. And I know, obviously, things like Eyes Wide Shore had a very long kind of oh, production as well as post-production, you know. But there's so many options if you're filming and you've got that luxury... I suppose that Stanley was a very lucky filmmaker in that he had this full support of a studio and yes in some respects well, you know, it, that, that he was able to
0: exactly. I mean, he always considered that time was his biggest luxury, and mm-hmm. that you know he had very small crews and and and, and he would film the rehearsals. So he he said, um people said, Well, why do you take so many takes and we said well i've got all these expensive actors these expensive sets and i have all these crews standing around the film going through the camera is the cheapest part of all of this you know and so w- why not film it because sometimes when actor you choose actors because you know that they've got the goods you know that they um are going to be be able to produce what you want them to do and then uh, but if they're off guard or they're tired or they're just thinking that they're rehearsing. They might be a little bit more experimental. But if the camera's rolling, that's when you might get gold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know that a lot of actors I spoke to who work with him said, you know, we never get get this amount of time to explore the role. And it's not just learn your lines and, you know, that's and move on to the next one. We're really going to milk these characters for everything that they've got. And the other thing is people talk about all these takes and, you know, sometimes they didn't know their lines. Sometimes they were hung over. <laughs> not, not Tom and Nicole, but, you know, they were, you know, consummate professionals. But, you know, I was certainly, you know, on sets of Stanleys where the guy who's seen it was that day was, was hung over <laughs> and hadn't <laughs> learned their lines. Yeah. And now you've got a crew standing there, you know.
2: So. It's interesting how like there's, there's those kind of there are certain things that, that like say you talk about the public perception of, of Stanley that that kind of stick and you know obviously multiple takes is one that a lot of people think of but there's plenty of other filmmakers who would just, who would just do do the same thing but I, it know. Was, I don't know what it was about stanley that
0: uh well because it's a shtick you know they like yeah. to you know pin yeah. it onto themselves so so yeah. and so so-and-so did this and so and so did that so and this was mean and so and so was you know screwing his actresses or you know would only you know hire actresses who would sleep with him that kind of thing so mm. there's always a little something that they like to stick on you and really since dad died i just I've spent most of my time saying to people, you know, you, you've never been on a film set, you don't know what you're talking about, and people say, "Oh, well, you would say that, wouldn't you?" Mm. Well, yes. You, I mean, you cannot believe me if you don't want to. As I've had a stand-up argument with somebody who who said that Daddy filmed the moon landings, and and yeah. he said, "Well, <laughs> you know," and and. And they said, well, you don't know what your parents do when you go to bed at night. And I would say, well, no, you're absolutely right. But I also know that he wasn't, you know, criminal.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah.
0: That he wasn't going to completely, you know, undervalue hundreds of thousands of yeah. people's efforts yeah. by getting somebody ridiculous. to the moon. Why would you do that? Yeah. Why would you do that? Anyway, yeah. now I just say, well, you know, he was so picky, he had to shoot it on location, so that's what I say. <laughs> well,
1: you said he had the luxury of time, but on the Bond films, they do them like, at the time, they were churning them out every two years, so was it a bit more, you know, rambunctious on set? Was it like a bit more it was quicker. Quick, quick? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was quicker, but it was still, I can't remember how long we shot on on Spy You Love Me, but I was on the picture for a year, so honestly, I can't remember my, my memory so bad now but you know it was a year from beginning to end so let's say six months of that was filming and then after you know the art department leaves and and the crew everybody goes home and, and you strike the set then of course they've got the editing a lot of films are edited um while they're being filmed yeah. as well and so that probably was a was a better a quicker process they're actually shooting the first uh, Superman. Yes, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the same time, with Dick Donner was was um, yeah. directing it, and you know the one with Mister Luthor, and <laughs> and. Um, Chris Christopher Reeves was this is the, where I was in J Block in the art department at Pinewood Studios. And there was this long corridor where you had to go to the dressing rooms. And so some of the art department lads thought it would be hilarious to um, pretend that they were going to throw me off the roof. So we went upstairs and they had me by the arms and legs and they were going to throw me off the roof. And Christopher Reeve was walking back to his dressing room in his cape and tights. Oh. <laughs> and I just help me. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and he just I wish I could. He he was he was a lovely guy, actually. He was oh, he was, a, good. He, was a, yeah, he was a sweetheart.
1: Well, and he was good friends with Roger, I believe, as well. Mm.
0: Um... Roger was a nice man. I I really like Roger. Yeah. He was very easygoing I mean kind of what you see is what you got kind of thing so he he was pretty um straightforward
1: that's good to hear isn't it because years and years on and particularly when someone's died that occasionally get these stories that come out someone accusing them of not being the nicest person but you're <laughs> like you weren't there were you you know no
0: just earth. yeah bugger off you weren't there yeah. you don't know what it was like so and people like they prefer to hear bad stories yeah about people and good <laughs> yeah. stories Okay, so it's just more interesting. I think that in the newspapers, if it if it bleeds, it leads. So you know, I don't have any time for that. And and things I read about other people and you know actors and performers that I read about in the film industry or most of it, I just think, yeah, that's just rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> it's just rubbish. You know, it's fifty percent. I mean, I, there were stories about my father. Uh, oh, uh, that he would drive his car with a helmet on or that yeah. he um, <laughs> had a helicopter spray insecticide over the garden or what else did they say oh and punch were out a very said that he was crazy uh that he was certifiably insane actually he sued them for mm. that okay. and then he oh and then there was a guy who was impersonating him yes Alan Conway mm. Conway by name <laughs> Conman by yeah, name yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wow strange. and he oh, and no. then they made a film with Tony Fruin and Stanley's longtime assistant wrote a story John, Mal- Colour- Me- Kubrick, Me Kubrick. Oh, John Mal- Kubrick Kubrick Yeah Kubrick yeah Yeah, John yeah. yeah. He, he was a real scumbag actually mm. and I was very glad when that film came out because I was worried that there were people for actually wandering around the world thinking that they'd met Stanley mm. and that that's who he was. Yeah. Yeah. So when that film came out, I'm very glad that they, oh, well, it wasn't really um, Stanley because I took a phone call. I was at my house and I took a phone call from this guy saying, oh, I'm manager of such and such a band. And uh, we spoke to Stanley yesterday and um, we've cancelled our tour and we're going to come to the studio to record our music song. Like, okay, how did you get this number? And... <sighs> No idea. Anyway, so I called my father and I said, oh, this guy's just phoned me about this band, Bloody Blase. He do not know anything about it. So he was this Alan Conway guy was literally coining it in because people didn't know what Stanley looked like. Yeah. And um, people wanted to believe they wanted to believe that mm-hmm. it was Stanley. And we all said we rounded up on dad. and right? I. We said, look, you've got to say something you know, you've got to, you know, it's your fault. You don't go to restaurants, so nobody knows what you look like, so it's your fault that this guy's getting away with murder. Not well, not literally, but...
2: You know. <laughs> yeah, Stanley had seen Dr. No, that was just to see Ken Adams' work. Do you know if he was a fan of the series, or had watched any others?
0: Because I'm sure he would have watched everything. I mean, <clears throat> Stanley was nothing but a, a film fan, a, you know, mm. a film geek, and he watched... Everything Mm. and when he wasn't in production on the weekends, he would we would have um, films in cans coming down from Wardour Street, (laughs) and we had projectors, and we would, you know, get some Chinese takeout and and watch movies. So he he saw everything.
2: I think there was someone had compiled like uh, his favorite films or something, or the films that he had passed comment. And I think White Men Can't Jump was quite high. I <laughs> know I love in the same way that Terence Malick's, one of Terence Malick's favorite film is Zoolander. I think because yeah. this again they think that because you, you're making I, kind of, I don't know, maybe intellectual or kind of artistic films that you're incapable of enjoying Zoolander or, you know, something very silly, dumb and dummy. You know well,
0: that that white men can jump um actually um sort of originated with me because it was on television uh-huh. one time and I and I said to Dado, oh, you know, he said, oh yeah it's a good movie. You should watch it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of um, but you know, he wrote a he wrote a fan letter to Bergman. He actually wrote a fan letter and he got a fan letter back from Kurosawa from, from oh, amazing. when 2001 came out. So, you know, they all talked to each other, all the directors, and Stanley was nothing, you know, he was a huge fan of Spielbergs. He loved Stevens' yeah. films and, and Bergman and um he, you know, and Fellini and Tarkovsky and mm-hmm. All those guys. So he, he watched he watched everything. He saw everything. And I don't know if you ever saw a, t- a, C- a TV series called Marks. Did you ever see that? Um, oh, okay. no, no. i that. Oh, yeah. yeah, you should see it. And mm-hmm. he watched it twice, back to back. It was like yeah. 20 programs or something. And it was basically um, about a German village f- from sort of 1915 or something through mm-hmm. to the end of the war. And he also liked Carlos Saura, and um, you know Spanish movie. And he saw film that he made, which was not I can't remember the name now. And he, it, a film came, and they didn't have subtitles on it. And he watched it in Spanish, and absolutely loved it. Blood Wedding, that's the one, and just thought it was completely. Brilliant. So, I think if you're a fan of the art of film, it's like painters yeah. go and see other painters mm-hmm. and like other paintings. And it's, you know, and musicians listen to other music. Why mm-hmm. would an artist of film, which is a very unique art form, actually, because yeah. it encompasses so many other art forms? Mm-hmm. And I think Stanley said that actually editing was probably the newest art form, it didn't exist before film existed, mm-hmm. but it is very much an art in and of itself.
1: You mentioned Steven Spielberg. I I'm obsessed with the film AI. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I
0: know, but I,
1: it, it, but yeah, do you oh. think Stanley would have would have loved it?
0: I think so. We were we were sitting around the table and and we'd been looking at all these drawings and and Chris Baker had been doing all these sketches yeah. Yeah. And, and he'd photographed my youngest son thinking that he could play David maybe, and oh. and then he just said, you know what? I think I'm going to get Steven to direct it. And we all went, went okay. Uh, and he said no because I'm going to make it too dark, and it's more Stephen's ballpark. It's more his in his sensibility, and so he was going to produce, and 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 Stephen was going to direct. And direct. He couldn't do it right away because he was Stephen was busy, and Stanley didn't do want to do it right away because you remember the scene where you're looking for the blue fairy and the oceans have taken over, and you've got all the buildings sticking out. Yeah. Like. When he was thinking about doing it, CGI couldn't do water yet. Right. I hadn't got that far. CGI also couldn't do fur, like for Teddy. So was was Dan, was David going to be a robot boy and or was he going to be a CGI boy? And was Teddy going to be a real Teddy, moving Teddy, mechanical Teddy, or was he going to be a CGI? They couldn't do fur and they couldn't do water. And he said, you know what, I'm just going to wait until the technology catches up with how I want it to yeah. be. And I... I really liked it. I thought it looked gorgeous. I thought Jude Law was inspired casting, actually. yeah I thought was yeah. perfect in that role. I think the last few minutes where they're explaining, probably you didn't need to do it. A lot of those people thought that the figures standing around, that they were robots. They didn't realize that they were computers.
1: Yeah, I thought they were aliens. Some people didn't they? share.
0: People thought that they were robots, um, mm. and 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 if you stood, they were all standing around in a circle, weren't they? Yeah, you could see the circuitry, blah, blah blah. So they're sharing the information, because David is the last robot that had met humans. Yeah. So he's, I mean, it's it's an amazing, and the flesh fair, Oh my god.
1: Yeah, that's inspiring.
0: Really upsetting. Yeah.
1: It's really upsetting scene.
0: <laughs> it's awful, yeah. It's awful. I mean, she leaves children. David <laughs> in the woods. Yeah. I know. I mean it's complete it's almost a kind sort of Bambi for drama. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my brother Jonathan's a big fan of your, your fathers. And he one question he wanted to ask was obviously you know, people again. People think, oh, Stanley wasn't very prolific. You know, it's a you know handful of films over a very long period of time. But he was quite prolific, wasn't he? Because he was writing all the time. And there's a, quite a lot of unproduced screenplays. And I yes. keep hearing, oh, this is potentially going to happen with this and that. Has there been any developments around that?
0: Yeah, he, he was sad that he didn't make more mm-hmm. films. And in between films, he was, and even while he was working, he was reading. And of course, everybody who had a script sent it to him. He had, you know, piles and piles of scripts and books, and he would get people to read books for him mm-hmm. and, and and you know, give him the pricey. And he started, he did a huge amount of work on Napoleon, which mm-hmm. you, you yeah. are no doubt aware of. And the reason that wasn't made was because they brought out a Rod Steiger film called Waterloo, which bombed at the box office. And the studio said, you know, we're not going to give you the money to make this film. Mm. And my mother said, oh, it's just they don't want, audiences don't want to see people writing with feathers, is what she
1: said. (laughs)
0: But um, I think subsequently, because Stanley had amassed the largest private collection of photography, uh, uh, photographs of artwork, and his famous card catalogue where you could you knew at any day any of the characters what they were doing at any time during the period of history that he was dealing with so something may yet come of it then he worked on aryan papers and which was a second world war story about a, an, an aunt and her nephew and it was cast and we were doing costume fittings and I took my kids out of school because we were all going to move to Holland and then Spielberg brought out Schindler's list
1: right yeah yeah
0: kind of pipped him to the post it's not a it's not a race it's not a competition but he just i think he decided that he just didn't want to do it and and my mother said and we could see that he was getting incredibly upset doing the research incredibly upset because he had all these books i mean you'd open one page of one of these books he was reading and you would cry so i don't even know how he you know he he really wanted to do it um but i think my mother said he she was really pleased when he when he packed it in actually because it was just so upsetting, overwhelming. And then there were other stories. There was um, Eric Bright Eyes was a a story that he was interested in. And then there was um, probably a whole bunch of other things that I didn't even know Mm. about that he was interested in. So, But he was constantly looking for a story that he would fall in love with. And it has to sustain you through reading it multiple times. Can I make this film? Is it possible? Can I get the money? How will we do it? Then you have to shoot it. You've got pre-production, production, editing. You have to be totally in love with that story yeah. throughout the entire process. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he said, you know, I don't know why I fall in love with the stories. It's just like, you know, why do you fall in love with your wife? You know, I don't know. You just do. So <laughs> is what he said. What he said.
1: Yeah. The Bond family, it was a family as well, wasn't it? It's a, a sort of, obviously, Cubby was there, now Barbara. And all the people have grown and grown throughout. The, the, Mike Wilson risen the productions. Yeah. Uh, Wilson, Mike Wilson
0: was there and um and then Tina, Barbara's younger sister, she was um my assistant on the pond.
1: <laughs> oh right, okay. <laughs> yes.
0: So there's a photograph of the two of us standing there on the uh on the 07 stage in front of the uh submarines. Harold Wilson opened the set, which was a big Yes,
1: thing. he did, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: He was he was a, a big film fan, actually, and he did the film industry. A lot of favors and uh, he was very in favor of the industry as a whole and did everything he could to um i think it make it favorable with taxes and stuff so yeah yeah it was it was um, fun times it all seems like well it's all a lifetime ago now i mean my son's about to be 37 for god's sake <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i'm about to be a mother-in-law and i'm about to be a granny so yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, Yeah, in June I'm going to be a granny, and I'm going to be a mother-in-law in July. So I'm ever so thrilled.
1: Thank you so much, Catarina. It's been wonderful.
0: Okay, we have been round the houses a bit. I'm sorry about yeah. I mean, that
1: perfect. yeah, it, it's Who's a fascinating so insight. There's So many stories. I'm sure that you, you haven't told us, but you know, and I haven't even
0: had any wine yet. So well,
1: there you go. Well, for <laughs>
2: you <know>. part two. <laughs> <laughs> really dumbest.